We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 again uh, today, if you'd be looking at that with me. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. We're going to have another. We've had the uh, Pharisees, the Herodians, come and uh, throw some questions at Jesus, you know, about, uh, you know, do we render under, who do we render to Caesar or God? We've had the Sadducees come with their um, hypothetical situation about a woman who married seven brothers, and when they get to heaven, who gets to be her husband? <laughs> so they have some real deep theological questions. Tonight or today, we're going to look at another person who came. This was a scribe, but he came with a different spirit and attitude. If I if I had to be like one of these groups that keep coming to Jesus, this is the one I'd want to be most like. Mark chapter twelve. If you're able to stand with us, please, for the reading of the scripture. We're going to begin in verse twenty-eight. Let me just say a word about Bible study while you're standing and looking at your scripture today. You know, we encourage people, in our because the Bible encourages this, we encourage people to read the Bible every day. Spend time every day in the Word of God. Many of our people follow a guide where we read through the Bible at least once a year. I think it's good to have some kind of a structure. Don't just uh, open up your Bible every day and just say, you know, I wonder what he's going to say to me today. And um, nothing. the Bible's all good, but I think we ought to read it with some system, some systematically structure. And a lot of us use a similar guide. And it's interesting when people comment to me, they read this today. It happened to be the same thing I was reading in our, my wife and I, our daily Bible reading. But it's one thing to read through the Bible. It's another thing to slow down a little bit and really try to uh, study a passage. That's one of the things that makes this kind of Bible expository preaching so helpful because we spend a little more time on it and that's what we've been doing in the gospel of Mark now for over two years and we're in chapter 12 now and let's begin reading in verse 28 and one of the scribes came and heard them reasoning together so here's a man he's a scribe he comes upon these conversations that people have been having with Jesus having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he, talking about Jesus, had answered them, talking about his critics, that he had answered them well, asked him. So he has a question for Jesus. Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answering him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. 
and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Jesus said to this scribe, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any questions. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious word. We want to we exercise our minds and our hearts today to your word. We want to receive with meekness the engrafted word. We want to, Lord, hear what you have to say to us. Help us. Because we, many of us are very familiar with these words. Help us not to look at it with a familiarity that would prevent us from learning from it. So please work in our hearts today. I pray especially for those here today who are not saved. That these words would find a resting place in their hearts. That they might see their need, Lord, for salvation. And how to be saved. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So a scribe comes. It says in verse 28, one of the scribes. So this is not a group of people. They've not gotten together They've not conspired or figured out how do we can trick him with a question. This is an individual, one man, he's a scribe. And who, who are these men that are called scribes? Historically, they served in a variety of uh, uh, capacities in the Old Testament. For instance, it was a scribe in 2 Kings that counted money that was donated for the work of the house of the Lord. They were really into order and record-keeping and very meticulous about those things. You, we've been reading in Jeremiah recently. In, the, in Jeremiah, it was Baruch, a scribe, who wrote, the, wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord. He was a scribe. Jeremiah was giving him words from God. He was writing them down accurately, precisely. Uh, Ezra, the Bible says, who the, one of the books of the Bible is named after, Ezra was a scribe in the Law of Moses, one of the most important jobs of scribes, as I mentioned about Baruch, is they would meticulously copy the scriptures, the manuscripts. The, for instance, just take the Pentateuch, the writings of Moses, those five books of the Old Testament. There was not just one copy of those. There were many copies. Those copies were written down word for word by these scribes who were trusted because they wouldn't alter or change anything. People in the press could never be a scribe. They like to change the facts to promote their own agenda. So these are the scribes. Unfortunately, in the New Testament time, the scribes were most, most usually associated with Pharisees and were hostile toward Jesus and the apostles. But that's not the case with this scribe we read about in verse 28. He was, he'd been listening, and he was singularly attentive to the teaching of Jesus. He wasn't criticizing. He said in verse, it says of him in verse 28 that uh, he heard them reasoning together. Reasoning is what they'd been doing, disputing and discussing things with Jesus, questioning him. He wasn't a critic. 
He wasn't there to find fault. He was impressed with the way Jesus answered these people. The answer he gave, for instance, to the Sadducees and the, and the question to the Pharisees, Herodians, about Caesar. Verse 28 says he, he answered them well. He perceived that Jesus had answered them well. The word well, by the way, doesn't just mean accurately, but it also means the manner in which he answered them. You know, it reminds me of the importance of the way we answer people. We're, you know, the Bible says, Peter said that we ought to be ready to give an every, every man an answer of the hope that's within us. We ought to have an answer as well. But Colossians says that our words should be like grace seasoned with salt that we may know how we ought to answer every man. So here Jesus is answering them well. And here's the question he asked in verse 28, last part of verse 28, which is the first commandment of all? I hope you'll mark that or make a mental note of that. It's such an important question. Which is the most important or which is the first commandment of all? You know, if you were to Google, uh, how many commandments uh, are there? There is a general agreement consensus that among the Jewish tradition and community, there's 613 commandments. And I've never counted them. 613. There could be more, they could be less. That's, that's the Old Testament law. But this man is asking, this man is a scribe, a man who is professionally... Uh, aware of, cognizant of the commandments. He says, which one of them is the most important commandment or which is first? By the way, the word first, like in our language all the time, first could mean several things. It could be the first in time. Like this happened before this. It happened first. It could be the first in place. They were the first ones in line at the church supper. <laughs> first. It could also mean first in rank. This person is more important than that person or he has a position over that person. The, the bottom line is, the question was, which is the most important commandment? Don't miss it. Which is the most important commandment? And Jesus gave him two commandments. And he said, these are the two greatest commandments. Look in verse 31. The last sentence of verse 31 says, There is none other commandment greater. There the word is greater, not just first. Greater means these two commandments supersede, take precedent over all other commandments. Now that deserves our attention today, right? These are the two most important commandments. And what are they? Let me, before we get into that, I think it'd be good just to talk for briefly about what a commandment is. Because people say, we need to be reminded of that sometimes. What is a commandment? It's an order, right? It's a charge. It's not a suggestion. It's a requirement. We have people in our men and women here today who have served in the military. They understand the difference in a suggestion and a command. If your commander tells you, um, that you need to be at a place at a certain time, that doesn't mean you need to be there five minutes later, right? Am I right about that? Uh, Brother Eric McBride has been uh, in training, you know, highway patrol, uh, going to the academy. And I'm sure if they say to him, I'm sure if they say to Eric, Eric, um, we need for you to do this at a certain time then you don't consider that a suggestion, right? 
People just consider it a suggestion get to go home early. <laughs> but they don't get to come back. Now this is what this word means. God's commands are not suggestions. They're not optional. They're not up for debate. When Jesus said command, he meant command. And I think we ought to think about it as a command. It's something God requires. It's something that God demands. And, and by the way, we, you know, we live in a culture where it seems like it's less and less important for people to do as they're told. You know what I'm saying? It just seems to be a part of the generation we live in. But, but by virtue of his person, God has the right to command us to do things. Right? It's a command. Now, what are those commands? Verse 29, Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. So what is the most important commandment? To love God supremely. Let me read this from the book of Deuteronomy. Just listen as I read. This is what Jesus is referring to. As I read from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. What is the greatest commandment? Okay, personalize this. As we think about Israel, we think about the scribe, we think about the question. What is the greatest commandment? It is to love God supremely. This is what God required of Israel in ancient days. To love him, this is the most important thing for you to do. As you sit here today, this is the most important thing for you and I to do. To love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We're going to look at the scribe as he asked the question today, but I think it's worthwhile to ask ourselves that today, don't you? Do I love God with all my heart? Do I love God with all of my soul? With all of my might? With all of my mind? Do I love God from my heart? Now what does that mean? The heart. The heart is the center of your being. The heart is where the things that matter to you most are seen and evidenced and flow from. It's not just your mind. It's not just your intellect. Much deeper than that. Do I love God supremely? Do I love God more than my family? Do I love God more than my friends? Do I love God more than my fun? Do I love God more than anything? Do I love God more than my hobbies and my career? Do I love God more than my personal desires and agenda? Do I love God more than those things that should come from our heart? If not, if not, then I'm being disobedient to God's most important command. Right? If I don't love him, I'm breaking the commandment that Jesus said is the greatest commandment of all. 
You know, I was reading this morning in Exodus where Moses tells us that God is jealous. God's a jealous God. And God wants our devotion. And if we're not loving God with all of our heart, we're not giving God what he expects. We're, and we're guilty before God. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy in the New Testament about the end times, the last days. And the last days, perilous times will come. I think we're living in those last days. He described the way people will be. Please hear me today. He said a lot of things, but one thing he said about this, and these are, these are not, I'm not saying these are saved people. This is just the way people live. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of what? God. Doesn't that describe our culture? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We love what pleases us. Imagine putting hobbies before God. Imagine putting personal rest before God. I've had to hurt so many people in my lifetime when you talk to them, maybe at the door, maybe a friend, you talk to them about the need to be in the house of God, and they say, well, I'm just so tired. They're not too tired to go to, you know, to go golfing. They're not too tired to go to work. They're not too tired to go see their grandkids, but they're too tired to go to church. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Imagine putting entertainment before God. I know I ought to be in church, but the ball game's on. I know I ought to, go, I know I ought to be going to visitation, soul winning, but, but you know, I've got this hockey game to go to or soccer game to go to or whatever it is. The point is, we ought to love Jesus more than we love anything else in the world. You know, as a husband and as a father and a grandfather, I would like to think that I would sacrifice a lot for my family, right? I'd sacrifice for my family. You would too. We'd sacrifice for our children. You know why? Because we love them. We, sacrifice, we would sacrifice because we love them. But do we love God enough to sacrifice for God? Do you, do you not think that that's kind of what Jesus is kind of implying when he says, you're to love me more than anything. You're to love me supremely. That's what I want. We'll come back to that a little bit. But look at the second commandment in verse 31. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So not only are you to love God more than anything, you're to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Leviticus, this is a quote from Leviticus. Leviticus 19 says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the greatest commandment, uh, or the second greatest commandment, Jesus said. Now, please let me help you with something. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's not a command to love yourself. By the way, nobody needs any help loving themselves. Paul wrote in Ephesians, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. We take care of ourselves. We pamper ourselves. We please ourselves. We justify ourselves. We exalt ourselves. So we, we know what it is like naturally to love ourselves. But you know what Jesus said? You're to love others. You're to love others. You're to love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's the second of these great commandments. 
And this was taught in other places in the Gospels. And, and the one who heard it asked Jesus this question. Jesus said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The man said, Well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered that. Jesus said there was a certain man, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it, tell the story. There was a man who went from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. One would assume that's probably a Jew. He was in Jerusalem. He's going to Jericho. And the Bible says Jesus said he fell among thieves. And they uh, beat him up and robbed him, stole his raiment, stole his possessions. And the Bible says they left him half dead. Can you get the picture? This guy's just been mauled. He's been mugged. He's been robbed from. And now keep the question in mind, who's my neighbor? And there were two religious people that walked by and saw him. One was a Levite and one was a priest. The Bible says they saw him on one side of the road in the ditch and they walked down the other side. They didn't want. They didn't, they didn't care about him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Religious people. But there was a third man, and he was a Samaritan. The significance of that is the Samaritans and the Jews didn't really like each other that much. This man was a Samaritan, often called the pair of the Good Samaritan. He saw this same man in the ditch, but the Bible says he went to him. And he had compassion on him. And he bound up his wounds. And he put him on his own beast. And he took him to the Motel 6. He took him to the inn. He got him checked in and he said to the innkeeper, here's some money, take care of him. And if I owe you anything, next time I come by, I'll pay for it. Now what's that old story about? It's about loving your neighbor. Your neighbor is not just your Family, it's not just your closest friends. It's people in the world. It's people who have needs. Does that describe us? Because Jesus, Jesus said that's what loving your neighbor is like. Loving God is loving him more than anything. And loving your neighbor is to love. This is the standard. We love our neighbor like we love ourselves. And if we're not doing that, we're disobeying the second most important command in the Bible. According to Jesus, we're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And again, I read this a moment ago in verse 31. At the end of that, it says, There is none other commandment greater than these. We are to obey these commandments. As I stand before you today, having been saved for more than 40 years, I stand before you and tell you this is one of the most challenging things you might ever think about. The importance of loving God more than anything and everything and loving your neighbor like giving your neighbor the attention you give yourself. It's not optional. These are commands of God. And I think it's good for us to reflect on this. I'm glad it came up in the passage as we're going through Mark's gospel. By the way, we ought to teach our children this, parents. We ought to teach our children to love God more than anything and everything. Sports are okay, but they're not as important as loving God. I mean, do you, if I were to ask your children... 
Does your mom or dad love God with all their heart? Does your family know that God matters more to you than everything else in this world? That's what Jesus was talking about. By the way, if I were to ask one of you young people, do your friends, do your friends know that you love God more than anything else in life? And I want to tell you, if you have friends and they don't know that, there's a spiritual problem there. By the way, that might be a good thing for parents to ask. Sometimes I ask teenagers this. I've done it recently, more than once, with young people. Do you, ever, you and your friends ever talk about the Lord? Y'all ever talk about the Bible? Do you ever talk about what God means to you? And it ought to be alarming to parents to know that their children don't really have those conversations. You know, it's one thing to go to church and carry a Bible and, and look the part or even enjoy teen activities. But that's not the same as loving God with all your heart. By the way, these two commandments will directly affect our obedience in every way. Listen to these words from Matthew when Matthew records this conversation here. Matthew said, on these, Jesus said this, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These two commandments, if you can get these two commandments down, then it'll help you with every other commandment. There's a classic example of that in the Ten Commandments. What's the first commandment? Love God with all your heart. The first commandment is have no other gods before me. The second commandment is not to make any graven image. The third commandment is not to take God's name in vain. The fourth commandment is be faithful to the Sabbath, the day of rest. When we love God, it will help us keep all those commandments. What about the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the fifth of the ten commandments is honor your father and mother. If we love our neighbors ourselves, we will honor our father. And no, nobody ever disrespected their parents who loved their neighbors themselves. The sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. The seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. The eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal. The ninth commandment is thou shalt not bear false witness or lie. The tenth commandment is don't covet what your neighbor is. If you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to covet what they have. You're not going to commit immorality with them. Why? Because you keep these two commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So I ask the question today, as I think about this scribe, we're going to get back to our text in a moment. Why do we find ourselves sometimes in this place? And I hope you're listening with an honest heart today. Why do we find ourselves neglecting our time alone with God, neglecting Bible reading and prayer? It's not because we don't have time. Let's be honest. It's because we don't love God enough to make time. What causes us to be ashamed in conversations that don't include Jesus? What is it that causes us to struggle with some of the simple acts of obedience to God? We struggle with those things. What is it, what is it that causes us to be spiritually lukewarm? What is it that causes people to be too busy to serve the Lord? And I know we all have busy times in our life, maybe a week or two or a month. We just can't seem to get caught up. But sometimes people go for months and years and never have time to serve the Lord. 
That's not a scheduling problem. That's a spiritual problem. Because if we loved God with all of our heart, we would make time to serve the Lord. What causes people to harbor bitterness and spend time gossiping and backbiting, struggling with God's commands, you know what it is? It's not the fact that we just are inclined that way. It's the fact that we don't love our neighbors ourselves. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. I was remembering this morning a conversation that Jesus had with Peter in John chapter 21 after the resurrection. Peter was ashamed. Peter let the Lord down. He denied the Lord three times. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me more than anything? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. You know what he said? Then feed my sheep. If you love me, do what I've called you to do. If you love me, do what I've commanded you to do. I know this is not the only answer, but I'm inclined to believe that when we have a problem with obedience, we need to look at the root of the problem. And sometimes that root can be a lack of love. For Jesus Christ. It's hard. It's painful. To be honest enough to say. Do I really love the Lord like I should. When I don't have time to obey him. When I don't have time to serve him. When I struggle to give him what he clearly commands. We're to love him. You know the church is the espoused bride of Christ. He expects our love. Every groom has a right. To expect that the bride will love him. And Jesus is our spiritual bridegroom. And we ought to love him. You know, one of the hardest things that we deal with as families, as parents, as, and I as a pastor, is watching people turn away from God. And I'm reminded of the words concerning Demas in the epistles. Demas hath forsaken me, Paul wrote, 2 Timothy. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know why he left? He didn't lose, leave because, because you know, it was too tough being a Christian. He, loved, he left because he loved the world more than he loved God. So Jesus gives this man these commands. And look, if you would, please, in verse 32. The scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. There is one God. This is what he's saying to Jesus. There is none other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength, to love him with everything you have, and to love his neighbor as himself, that, he says, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Those two things are more important than all the sacrificial system, all the religious exercises, all the things that we can do. Not, listen, I'm for doing those things that God wants us to do, but if you don't love God, those things can't make up for it. You've said the truth. These commandments are more important than anything. You know, you know a person... And I'm not advocating that anybody here does this, but a person could be lost and give. They could be lost and sing. You know, you can give and serve without loving. 
But you cannot love without giving and serving. Because when we love him, we will obey him. Notice what Jesus said to this man. I think these are kind of alarming words in verse 34. Jesus saw that he answered discreetly or wisely. He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Notice that phrase, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Didn't mean he was in the kingdom of God. He was just close. He was closer than all these other people. He was closer than the Pharisees, the Herodians, closer than the Sadducees. Something almost haunting to me about that phrase, thou art not far, thou art almost he was sincere. He was sincere. Listen to this young person. He was sincere. He was interested. He agreed with Jesus. And quite honestly, I believe he was closer than a lot of people I know. At least he seemed interested in the things of God. At least he was listening carefully. At least he was entering into conversation with Jesus. I know people who aren't really even that interested. But he wasn't there yet. Close doesn't count. Close doesn't count in hand grenades. Close doesn't count everything except hand grenades and horseshoes. You get a point in horseshoes if you're close to the pin, right? And if we get too close to a hand grenade, it could be fatal. But if a person's only close to the kingdom of God, and he's not in. He's not in. Almost saved is not saved. Close to being right is not completely right. I just want to say this morning that, first of all, knowing what Jesus commands is vitally important. Knowing what he, command, he commands. I could see where a person would say, you know, I've really been thinking about this thing about getting saved or getting really sold out and starting to live for the Lord. I just, there's so many things to remember. I just don't know if I can remember them all. Just remember these two things. Just love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? Those two things will take you a long way. It it's, can be easy for me for any of us, it can be easy just to sort of go through the motions, check all the boxes, read my Bible, went to church, and forget that the most important thing is to love God supremely in your heart and to love others like you love yourself. You know, I've thought a lot in recent months, and I've preached from it a couple of times here and even other places, about that church in Ephesus, you know, that Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation and said, you're doing a lot of good stuff. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast, and here's the word, left, left thy first love. You don't love me like you used to. And Jesus said to that church, you need to remember from whence thou hast fallen and repent. You need to remember for what you fell from and repent. 
And I'd just like for us to spend a few minutes this morning individually, personally thinking about this. Does this apply to me at all? Does this, does this say anything to me? Do I love him as much as I've ever loved him? Do I love him more than anything else in life? You say, well, preacher, what is it that would motivate us to love him so much? The Bible clearly speaks about that. And I'm not going to turn to it in 1 John. Where John the Beloved said, we love him because he first loved us. You know why we love him? Because he sought us out. Because he shed his blood on the old rugged cross. Because he redeemed us. He purchased us. He helps us. He keeps us. He, he challenges us when we're wrong. He cheers us up when we're down. We love him because he first loved us. Not one of us, not one of us, and certainly not myself, not one of us could say, you know, I, I, just, I just started loving God and I've always kept loving God and for no reason. No, I'll tell you, I love that little chorus we used to sing sometimes. I fell in love with Jesus at the cross of Calvary. Sometimes when we find if we'd be honest, sometimes when we find that things are not where they need to be spiritually, please don't miss this. We think, well, what I need to do is just read my Bible a little more or just pray a little more. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but those things are just the symptoms of the problem. Because the real problem is we're breaking God's first commandment. We don't love him as much as we ought to. Right? And you don't have to say that to me, but it might be good sometimes, as I have said it many times in my life, Lord, I don't love you as much as I ought to love you. I don't love you as much as you deserve to be loved. And there's nothing like a, a sincere trip to Calvary to get our love refreshed and realize he hung there for us. He died for us. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. And if you're here today, and there are people probably here that this describes and you're not saved, you, you, don't, you can't look back. Listen to me. You can't look back on your life and say there was ever a time when God so changed me that I just fell in love with him. If, you, if, you don't, if that's never happened to you, you ought to be asking yourself, have I really been saved? You say, well, I, how, how do I know I need to be saved? Just If you only had one commandment, just take one. One commandment, not from my word, but from Jesus' word. One commandment, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God more than anything. And if you, if you would honestly look at that commandment, everyone in this room would have to say, I'm as guilty, I'm as guilty as I can be because I've broken that commandment. And that in itself 
ought to convince you you need to be saved. And you ought to come today and say, I need to be saved. I need the Lord in my life. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. If you're able to stand, I'm going to ask you to stand with us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I'm asking you to stand because sometimes we get so comfortable, we get distracted. Would you think with me about this first and second of the two commandments Jesus gave us, the greatest commandments? If you're here today and you're not saved, young person or adult, you don't, you don't know that you've ever really loved God like you should. You don't get saved by loving God, but when you get saved, you will love God. Today, God wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He died on the cross that we could be saved. And it's not about jumping through hoops and prom making promises and keeping any. It's just about coming to him in faith and believing and trusting in him. And when we do, he saves us and forgives us. Thank God for that. If you want somebody to help you with that, you ought to come. We're here to do that. Maybe you want to come today and just get in this altar and say, Lord, help me to love you the way I need to love you. Our Father, as we pray today, we thank you for the precious word of God. I thank you for the question asked by this scribe. Thank you for his interest, his sincerity. Father, help us to be like him in the fact that we're interested. We want to know. God, search our hearts today about this matter of our love for you and our love for one another.